11. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, and you can find the podcast for this, this, this presentation, if you will, on the free Odyssey app. 20, uh, 22 years ago, this time of day, I was getting ready to go to work. And I, everybody was talking about one of the World Trade Center buildings was on fire. And uh, I turned on the TV <clears throat> just in time to see that second airliner go in. I remember thinking that looks just like a Cessna. Because, you know, I, I, I you know, you, you're not really looking at the scale of things and everything else. And. That image messes with me to, to this day and all of the images associated with this, but none more so than the people that chose to jump out of the building. I've never been able to let go of the sight of the 200 or so Americans that fell to their death from the tops of the World, you know, the World Trade Center because they made a decision. They, they decided, okay, I'm going to die but I'm not going to burn and I'm not going to suffocate. So I'm going to fly. And, you know, on that fateful day when those buildings came down, they did actually rescue 20 people from the rubble. Although I'm, I'm not really aware of the breakdown if any of those people were actually in the building when the buildings came down. One guy took pictures of those guys, Richard Drew. He's the one that took that picture that, you know, of the man that was vertical, inverted, looking like he was running. Although he actually took multiple, multiple, uh, multiple frames of that particular individual. Because they were coming down, 200 people jumped or fell. Some tried to turn curtains into parachutes. And in, in that moment, you know, I, I've, I've been involved in things in the military where you sort of take that leap of faith. But I've always known that there was something there, right? You know, I always had a rope to cling on to or, or uh, you know, an expectation of, of being able to survive what I was about to do in the exercise. These people knew this was their last decision. And I thought how awful that was for non-combatants to have to make that decision. Some of these people, you, if you look at the pictures of them, they're on the phone. <laughs> they're on the phone so they can hear their loved one. So they would be with them till the very end. I was very angry about that day. Still am. Still am to, the, to this day. What makes me angrier is the fact, uh, you know, what the, the, the emotion that gripped the nation at that time. That was the last time that America was one. That was the last time we were united. That Race didn't matter. Race didn't matter. Polit political party didn't matter. Somebody attacked us. Everybody held on to everybody. A lot of men were looking at each other. Some of us that knew what this was, you know, 
I knew what this was. For some people, they, they weren't alive even when this happened. There, there's a group of people that have gone through high school and graduated and were not alive when this happened. So for them, this is, you know, uh, I explained one time to some young person that, you know, we were in Europe when Chernobyl happened. And they were like, I thought that was just a TV show on HBO. The thing that bugs me the most about this is that I fully comprehend every decision I made when I joined the military and I knew that I was you know, potentially putting myself in harm's way to the to the degree that, you know, it would be over with so fast that I just, you know, I would have been looking up at the sky, seeing something hovering overhead and it was done. You know? I made that choice. Those people at the World Trade Center that day Those people that were in the World Trade Center that day, some of them were looking out the window. They had a bagel or something, maybe a cup of coffee. It was early morning. They just got to work, you know. Some of them saw a plane coming at them. A plane moving at that rate of speed, you're going to see it as a speck against the sky, and then it's going to get big real fast. And your brain is trying to comprehend what you're looking at. And then by the time you do, it's too late. And those were the lucky ones that day. Those were the lucky ones. The ones that jumped. They only had one choice they could make. They were the, you know, the elevators, the stairwells were cut off. And uh, they could either burn or jump. So... The day after this happened with people like me, I called a recruiter to see if they would take me back. I was still a viable, you know, I was, uh, let's see, I was 40. I was 40 years old. I still could have managed, right? I still could have managed. Um, but the biggest group of veterans that called that day to beg to come back in to offer to go and fight were the Vietnam veterans. Those guys just tore it up. They they were they they were willing and able to go. Not maybe not so able because you know they were they were getting up there. Now, like this texture here, some of you get sort of sidetracked on the fact of uh, the conspiracy theory about this and that and how it happened and everything. I couldn't care less about that. Couldn't care less about it at all. All I think about is those 200 jumpers. When they were evacuating the buildings, they couldn't go out the front of the buildings. They had to go out side entrances and sometimes underground entrances because of the people falling out of the buildings. Because somebody falling from 1,500 feet is... You can't recognize them when they hit the ground. They, they don't look human. They come apart. They're not just laying there looking up with a you know, blank stare. They're, they're, they're torn up. But anybody landing on somebody, I mean, some. I think a couple of firefighters got killed by falling humans. 
So they had to find different ways. It was a very horrendous day for humanity in that circumstance. And that's what made me angry, the fact that people that never made a conscious decision to put themselves in this particular position had to make this decision. And for that, you know, for that reason, we should, you know, all of that stuff that we, we have squandered two decades. When we had a moment when we were truly unified as a people. And it bugs me to this day that one, we squandered that, and two, those 200 lonely people. I mean, some of them held hands and jumped, and they weren't lonely, but, you know. Such an awful decision to have to make. Such an awful finality to it. One guy, one guy, I, I saw one guy that was looking for one of his loved ones, and he went and sat down with Richard Drew, and they looked through all of the film that he had taken, and he saw his loved one falling. And he took solace in the fact that she made the decision, and her last moments on earth were somewhat like flying. What a horrendous, horrendous way to rationalize and look at your loved one and, and think to yourself, this is so much better that they died this way. So, this is just not, it's not just another day. This is a sad day. But there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. And we're going to now move on to... Uh, New Mexico Governor Michelle, because she has lost her mind, but maybe not so crazy as you might think. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I am texting live on the WORD Facebook page. Um, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has decided she wanted some attention, so she has, uh, well, she's, uh, she's banning law-abiding citizens from opening or concealed carrying for the next 30 days in a locale. Now, there's a reason that that happened. That happened because of COVID. Because none of the things that, you know, law-abiding citizens carrying guns are never the problem. And nowhere in her order is there anything about enforcing laws to keep criminals off the streets. All, all of these shootings that she references had nothing to do with regular people. In New Mexico, open carry is constitutional. In New Mexico, concealed carry is constitutional. And, of course, you do have the Heller, McDonald, and Bruin decisions to buttress that on the federal level. And there is no vehicle out there available in any way, shape, or form for any lawmaker to get out there and say, I'm suspending the Constitution. Just none. And, you know, David Hogg has come out. When you lose David Hogg, what do you got going on? Ted Lieu? 
Ryan Bussey, for those of you who don't know, Ryan Bussey used to be a, uh, he used to be the publicist for Kimber Arms, the 1911 company. And then he decided to embrace his inner gun grabber. And now he works for the Giffords organization. So he's, he's anti-gun now too. They've all come out against her. And many people have come out against her because on one hand, while all of your uh, typical lefty uh, states would love to do this, a lot of them understand that this gives away the script. And with the gun, the gun issue is is one of those things that, uh, well, that's that's touchy when you're a tyrant. Now, there's a few other things that go along with this, uh, besides the public health grab. She also says that gun store and firing range owners will be subject to monthly inspections. So this means she probably intends to keep this order in place longer than 30 days, but hoping that nobody's going to notice that. Except a lot of people have noticed it. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, the National Association for Gun Rights has already sued her. Second Amendment Foundation is getting ready to sue her. Probably the Firearms Policy Coalition is going to sue her. Gun Owners of America will sue her. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to sue her. And here, here, here comes the problem. This, this is one of those things they would not have wanted in the anti-gun community to actually happen. Because once we get a, a legal precedent put in place to where you cannot suspend the Second Amendment. That causes all kinds of problems. That closes lots and lots of doors. She said on the app formerly known as Twitter, when we're afraid to be when we're afraid to be in crowds to take our kids to school, when our very right to exist is threatened by the prospect of violence at every turn, something is wrong. I'm not going to stop fighting for public health until everyone is safe, period. Okay. Now, first things first. No law-abiding uh, law uh, citizens have shot any children at all. This is extreme gaslighting. Um, it was criminals that shot those kids. And nowhere in her speech since Friday does she talk about that. She thinks that she can use public health as a way to get around her sworn oath to uphold both the New Mexico and United States constitutions. She thinks she can, you know, have it her way whenever she wants to. At Reason Magazine, Eugene Volokh, he, he writes, No law shall abridge the right of the citizen to keep and bear arms for security and defense, and but nothing herein shall be held to permit the carrying of concealed weapons. City of Las Vegas versus uh, Moberg, nineteen seventy-one, interpreted, or excuse me, interpreted the uh, nineteen twelve constitutional right to bear arms provision. The people have the right to bear arms for their security and defense, but nothing herein shall be held to permit the carrying of concealed weapons, as indeed invalidating laws that ban both open and concealed carry of guns. And it didn't rely on the state constitutional provision, likely because federal courts generally can't issue injunctions against state governments violating state law. But the governor of New Mexico is actually obligated to comply with the state constitution. So she's bitten off a whole lot more than she can chew. But we absolutely need to press this to its nth degree so that the next time the whole COVID thing pops up or whatever the next COVID thing is going to be, that these states understand that there's certain things they can't do because there are. Now, right now, in New Mexico, 
if you fail to submit to this unconstitutional grab, um, you could be subject to a $5,000 fine backed, backed up by what? I don't know. Just because she said so, she just came up with that number. And uh, so you're going to arrest law-abiding citizens who exercise their constitutional right, and criminals are going to continue their rampage. They had a uh, they had a, uh, a an event in Old Town, New Mexico, uh, Old Town, and uh, it was a pro-gun rally. And while they were there, an anti-gunner started protesting. And instead of doing anything, you know, if this were the other way around, if a pro-gun protester showed up at an anti-gun event. They would probably beat him to death. But no, they gave this guy a chance to speak and get his point of view out. Show me a leftist event where that happens. Then there's Susan Martinez, the former governor of New Mexico. Certainly not somebody I would walk around and go call her Captain Constitutional. She said, we cannot have political grandstanding, reckless and unconstitutional emergency health orders being issued that do nothing to criminals, but instead take aim at law-abiding citizens. I mean, when you lose her. So she's put up this 30-day limit. She's, stuck, she's thrown it up there to see... There's two things that will happen with this. It will it will sustain itself, and then it will expire, which is a mistake. It would be a mistake to allow that to happen. The other thing, uh, she put out there and she has uh, allowed for an expansion to other cities that meet the threshold of violent crime if a 1,000 or more violent crimes per 100,000 residents have occurred per year since one, uh, 2021. It says a threshold of 90 firearms-related emergency room visits per 100,000 residents have occurred between July 2022 and June of this year. So the ability to expand this into a statewide thing is there. Well, for all those that are out there thinking, well, you know, they can't assess how this is going to do. I, I can already assess how this is going to do. It's going to do nothing about crime. As a matter of fact, it's going to encourage crime because now, uh, you know, now she's tried to make it a mandate that you can't defend yourself with a weapon. So, <laughs> so we have that going on. I mean, that, that has really, that has, uh, that has evolved many different ways just since Friday. It is quite the, quite the uh, uh, interesting little shenanigans we have going on. So we'll have to pay attention to this because for some of these states, they would do this in a heartbeat if they can get away with it. And it all comes down to the voting populace. It really does. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Let's make sure we press all the buttons. Everything's up and running. There we go. There's the stream. Stream is back. Let's hit that button right there. All right. Well, you know, every now and again, uh, well, every now and again, karma comes a calling. GS Plumbing 
talk line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. You see, Jennifer Granholm, the Joe Biden Secretary of Energy, she decided to show you simps exactly how this works. So she went on a maiden voyage. She launched a four-day road electric vehicle trip through the southeastern United States to highlight the commitment to sinking billions of our dollars into the green energy industry and clean char or clean car clean cars. Excuse me, chars is better. Like it. I mean, after they catch on fire. In order to really publicize this in the most honest possible way, she took along the ride on the ride. NPR reporter Camelia Domanski, Domanski, Domanski. Yeah, whatever. She took, a, she, she, she took Camila with her. And according to her account of events published yesterday by the outlet, she ran into tons of problems, including an obvious hardware issue and also a brush with law enforcement. And, you know, when you take into consideration what we know about the privileged attitude of the Washington elite, you could rightly assume where this is going. So we get this from the article from Camila. Between stops, Granholm's entourage at times had to grapple with the limitations of the present. Like when her caravan of EVs, including a luxury Cadillac Lyric, a hefty Ford F-150, and an affordable Bolt electric vehicle, utility vehicle, were planning a fast-charging Grovetown, a suburb of Augusta, Georgia. Her advanced team realized there weren't going to be enough plugs to go around. One of the station's four chargers was broken and the others were occupied. So an energy department staffer, which this is never explained in the article why this was in place, an energy department staffer tried to park a non-electric vehicle by one of the working chargers to reserve a spot for the approaching Secretary of Energy. So she had a uh, she had a uh, an advance party out there in gasoline-powered vehicles. <laughs> And, of course, that didn't go very well because they were taking a gas car to block the only free spot for a charger. And the family that was boxed out on a sweltering day with a baby in the vehicle was so upset they decided to get the authorities involved, so they called the police. So, in order to make sure the trip worked, because I'm sure she had read various news reports, Granholm brought along an, an accompanying armada of gas-powered cars. And I guess this is probably for the photo ops and everything. I can only surmise she needed to ensure the success and the safety of this trip. And a fleet of exclusively, you know, of, of EVs was out of the question. Because she, and, you know, with this trip, Jennifer, you doubled the footprint with this one. And this is if I'm going to play your stupid game and believe that carbon is a pollutant. I'm simply arguing, arguing from your own position. And, uh, you know, even though they don't produce any emissions, generating the electricity required to power the car does. And this is the same grand home that wants to take your dishwasher and your gas stove and your, your ceiling fan. Then... <laughs> Then there's a whole thing about this advance party out there sending the help on ahead. 
and make sure the secretary can breeze in and out without having to wait in any lines, because lines are for the little people, not the stars like Secretary Granholm. And we get this from Nick Arama at Red State. Doesn't that say it all? There weren't enough charges to deal with the, the demand, and they tried to block out other people to reserve a spot for Granholm at the faster charger. That screams entitlement and thinking they get to do that because of their power. And when you're stealing a spot from a family with a baby, you just might be pretty scummy. They're denying a family the very service they claim to be helping to provide because the family was on their way or in the way of their PR stunt. And the Biden team did it with a vehicle that wasn't even electric. Now, I do not purposely go out into this area looking for chargers for electric cars because I don't own one. But it, it, it is interesting that, I mean, I see there's one big one on Haywood Road that I've seen. But when I think, when I say big one, what I'm actually saying is, uh, you know, it's got like eight or nine chargers there. And in the event that we all became electric cars, that's not going to work. That's got, are we going to get into gunplay over the Charger? We're going to get into cricket bat duels over the Chargers? They don't have the infrastructure in place at all. Not even close. Not even close. The other thing is this. Buying an electric car means you are tied to whoever you bought it from forever. It's like being married to a toxic person and then having children with them. You're tied to them for the rest of your life. And because there are no, there, there's no, uh, you know, there are no just corner repair shops for electric cars. They're not authorized by the manufacturers. They're not trained. They're, they're not getting people coming. All right, uh, we're going to train the uh, third-party Tesla technicians now because there's none. There are none. So, that family, they called the cops. The details of that did not make it into the NPR piece. But if I had to speculate, I suspect the likely scenario is they asked the gas, power, car, gas car to move. And they were probably told, well, no, we're here for the Secretary of Energy. You're just going to have to wait. We do know that the Energy Department staff scrambled to smooth over the situation including sending other vehicles to slower chargers until both the frustrated family and the secretary had room to charge. Now, this trip began in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the stop in question was in Grovetown, Georgia. And this is 173 miles apart, or 2 hours and 41 minutes. And they ran in to their first serious issue... 173 miles apart. That's not a road trip. I used to go further than that to go see my relatives. Jennifer Granholm, of all of the uh, cabinet members, she is one of the most entitled I've ever seen in my life. And she is also a absolutely, I mean, just the hubris is incredible. Incredible. When we get back, now, going to talk about Liberty Safe again, just one more time. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.
All right. When it rains, it pours, right? <laughs> but I saw this, and I wanted to get this out. Hey, why, why is the mic muted on that? I'm supposed to be. There we go. Now everything, all the buttons are pushed. Um, the GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. I am streaming live on the WORD Facebook page. Podcast is available on the free Odyssey app. So Liberty Safe. Um they acted with a whole lot of not very very much foresight at all. A whole lot of uh tone deafness, if you want to put it that way. And they are reaping the benefit of that lack of foresight right now, today, this very minute. Now, do I think this will result in a Bud Light moment? Well, no, because Bud Light doubled down for the longest time after they made their miscalculation. And Liberty Safe has actually gotten where they need to be right now, this minute. Was what they did. And was the fact that they did what they did uh, without thinking about it too much, uh, does that indicate tone deafness like I said yeah it does but you got to ask yourself a question um, was that malicious which we don't know we don't know this and then I saw this and I you know everybody out there right now is going to be jumping up and down because they're gonna be like oh this is another nail in their coffin for me well no actually it should not be Liberty Safe is not privately owned it is owned by Monomoy Capital Partners they purchased they purchased Liberty Safe in 2021 and um, th so they are the parent company of Liberty Safe. And they also have given more than half a million dollars to Senators Raphael Warnock, John Fetterman, and Mark Kelly. All to a party that seeks to limit firearms. Now, the company's current CEO, Justin Hillenbrand, personally donated $4,600 to former President Barack Obama's campaign. And we see this from time to time. And uh, we've seen this, I, I've seen this a lot like with, uh, there's been a lot of things said about Black Rifle Coffee Company as an example. They seem to, uh, they, they've made a few statements here and there, seemingly uh, to the detriment of the people that are there, you know, they're, they're, they're supposedly sought after demographic. And so the question becomes, should we support this company? And I think at this particular moment, it's all going to be based on what comes next, right? Because Liberty Safes had nothing to do. The company itself has nothing to do with what the higher ups do, are doing right now. At all. No more so than you have to do with your government doing what it's doing. Right? Nobody's nobody's consulting with the rank and file of Liberty Safe. Nobody's consulting with the dealers of Liberty Safe. Right? Now, one aid to John Fetterman, which I, I would, I would, uh, you know, I'd be happy to say, well, all aides to John Fetterman are actually more, doing more legislating than than he is. Uh, Fetterman, he received twenty nine hundred dollars in donations from Monomoy. He was called on camera bragging about how the company wants to overturn the Second Amendment, adding they would be content with a total ban on owning personal firearms. Okay, where did that come from? 
Now, here's the thing to remember about any of these political types, okay? I have been told before when by, by various political, uh, political operator staffs, bold lies on the way they voted, right? On the way they voted. And uh, they're going to tell you whatever it takes to, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it has no long-lasting effect to lie to me. Because I'm going to find out. Now, it is apparent that a lot of politicians in the United States today are not interested in any of your rights. Any of them. They're not interested in your right to free speech. They're not interested in your right to keep and bear arms. They're not. Some of them are not even interested in you being able to live by yourself in your house. So all of these things, you need to look up each and every one of these little little micro-events that happen and understand that they are all, all, all culpable and all of them are uh, coming at you in one way, shape, or form. There's There are those that, you know, if, if there were nothing but Republicans like Mitch McConnell and, uh, you know, uh, Thune and Cornyn and Graham, they'd be happy just to take the graft and, you know, just make their own personal fortunes and they wouldn't do anything to take our freedoms, but they wouldn't be doing anything to protect them. And when they say they're friends on the other aisle, they mean it. As soon as they get done yelling at each other and, you know, castigating each other, they, you know, when the cameras go off and the lights go down, they're patting each other on the back and let, let, let me get this next round of drinks for you, Chucky. Let me get the next round of drinks for you. Ah, oh, gosh. I sure do enjoy. I sure do enjoy looking at these politicians. So much so, I think I'm going to do this all over again. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.